Welcome back to the TEFL Training Institute podcast, everyone. I'm Ross Thorburn. This week, we're talking about managers in language schools and what do they do? My guest this week is George Pickering. George is a management coach, trainer, and consultant. He's a British Council inspector, and he's also the academic director of the English UK Diploma in ELT Management. So in this episode, I asked George about what managers do, how they do it, and how similar or different is their jobs to teachers. Before that, here's a quick word from this week's sponsor. This week's episode is brought to you by StudyCat. StudyCat is an award-winning language learning app for kids, which is engaging, fun, and communicative. If you have students or parents of students who are looking for an app for the kids, get them to click on the link in the show notes and use the discount code ROSS, that's R-O-S-S, at checkout, and they'll get 10% off their lifetime subscription on StudyCat. Click on the link in the show notes, get a one-month free trial, and use the discount code ROSS to get 10% off. And now, on with the interview. Hi, George. Welcome to the podcast. To begin with, why do we have managers? Well, we have managers because we had something called the division of labor. If you're a one-man band, you don't necessarily need a manager. You can be your own manager. But as soon as you disperse roles between a group of people, somebody then has responsibility of coordinating those activities to make sure that everything works together. And that is one of the key management roles, to integrate the work of different people. If you are a small owner, you may not need a manager or a manager class. You can do that yourself. But once you get above a certain size, you might want to start dividing up the leadership and management roles between yourself and others because you can't do everything. You can't give the hands-on support that people need. Now, you mentioned leadership and management roles. What are some of those different roles that managers and leaders take? I think, you know, we're all in the business these days of having these three-part slogans. If I was to do the same for the manager, it would just be the very basic plan, do, review. The role of the manager is to plan their own time, the time of others in relation to the vision and values of the organization, in relation to the strategic objectives of the organization, in relation to what we're delivering this week. That's the planning. We then have the doing which could be the things that I do myself as a manager. For example, it might be timetabling, it might be observing, it might be doing performance reviews. And it's also about coordinating the doing of others to make sure that the other people, in other words, the teachers, have got the support that they need, have got the resources they need, have got the training that they need. And then crucially, we've got the review which is reviewing my own performance. Did I do what I set out to achieve this week? Reviewing the performance of others. And it's also crucially about reviewing the systems that we have in place. As a manager, there can be a tendency to think that my job is to work within the systems. But crucially, a manager's role is also to work on the systems, to improve the processes, to improve the systems. Brilliant. So that was management related to tasks. Maybe, George, you can tell us a bit more about management related to people. Uh, Walk us through the different C's of management. So I think we've got communication, coordinating, cooperating, coaching, and being customer focused. Tell us about those, George. 
most of what we're doing is developing portable skills. That is to say, they are skills we could use in other sectors, in other types of job. We've got domain knowledge to do with how people learn languages, et cetera, et cetera. But most of what we do is a portable skill. So crucially, as managers, we need to communicate. So we need to be listening. We need to be getting feedback. We need to be communicating with people in terms of giving them positive feedback. Now, people listen to the bad more than the good. So you tend to need four pieces of good to make up for one bad. And very little attention is paid to the good. So we need to change a different balance. So people are getting lots and lots of positive feedback, as well as the constructive feedback we want to give them. So we are gathering feedback from students as well as from staff. And then we are feeding this back to staff. Now, a story from my own past was when I was running a, a teacher training college for Bell in Cambridge. We used to have an agenda each week with the trainers. The first point on the agenda was feedback. And this was me giving positive feedback to the trainers from the students. This is what people have been saying about you. And I would have read all the feedback forms in the morning so I could both give them the general feedback. For example, Sergio said, fantastic trainer, really wonderful week. That I saw as my main role. My second role, which is also communication, and this was on the agenda, was find out what the trainers need. So to get feedback from them about what's not working and how I can support them. So that's communicate. We've also got what I mentioned, coordinating. So I'm coordinating the work of different people. I'm also crucially in the business of cooperating. I'm cooperating with other departments. I'm cooperating with other people in other parts of the sector. I think crucially these days, I'm also coaching. So I'm as a manager, as coach. I'm helping as far as possible for people to come up with their own solutions. So I, as a coach, am working out on an individual basis with this task. Does this person want to do this or not? Do they know how to do it? Can I therefore let them get on with it? Or do I need to work on their motivation? Or do I need to work on the skills that they need to do this? That's my role as the coach, to give them the support that they need. And the last one is to be customer focused, to look at my role as being chief service provider. And I'm doing that sometimes directly to the customer, the external customer, but mainly through the work of the people who are delivering those services to the customer. So I'm always encouraging managers to, to, to remember that what you're learning is not just good for you as a language teaching manager. This is good for you as a manager, wherever you end up. I want people to be thinking about what are the portable skills that are going to help me do this job, do the next job I want, and to make me employable in the long term. Now, another big part of management comes down to weighing up different options. George, tell us about the three Ds of management. So deciding, deliberating, and being data-driven. Managers are in the business of making decisions. So we need to be data-driven. 
We need to be making decisions on data, not on assumptions, not simply on our guts, because we need to be checking for all those cognitive biases that we know we as managers, we as human beings have. So we've got to be data driven. So the question isn't what do you think or what do I think? The question is, what do we know? What don't we know? What do we need to find out? So that's the first one. The second D is to deliberate. If we're making important decisions, we don't do that when we are in an emotional state. We need to be in a calm state. We need to deliberate. We need to decide who needs to make the decision. We need to be aware of the pros and cons of the options. And a crucial part of this is to get out of binary thinking, black and white thinking. This isn't about, do we keep Ross or do we sack him? The question is, what are we going to do about Ross, right? <laughs> what are the options? And there's always more than two options. There is a danger of focusing on black and white thinking, particularly when we are in an emotional state. When you are in a state of stress, you go for black and white thinking. And then the final D is, of course, we do have to decide. We have to decide. And then we have to act on those decisions and make those decisions made known to the appropriate people. It's really interesting that you mentioned the times that managers make decisions. I know a manager of a chain of schools who recently told me, I think with some pride, about how his management team regularly finished their management meetings at two or three in the morning. And that really concerned me because I don't think people usually make the best decisions at two or three a.m. Well, that comes back to the fact that we tend to focus on the what, not the when and the where. So the key thing about decisions, and if we're thinking about meetings as places where decisions make, who's in the room and at what time of the day? Because if you're making decisions late at night, if you're making decisions at the end of a long period of time without taking in food, you're going to make poorer decisions because you've actually not got the oxygen you need to make those careful deliberations. Now, just thinking about all the content that we've been talking about, so we had plan, do, review. That sounds very similar to planning, teaching and reflecting, which are things that teachers do. And other things that we've talked about are managers giving feedback, managers making decisions, managers collecting data, and all those are things that teachers do as well. So I often think that a lot of the skills that are required to be successful managers are skills that teachers probably already have. To what extent do you agree with that, George? Um, they have, but there is the transferability gap. Doesn't automatically map onto another job. The learning gap is a big one. With the right training and the right support, people, if they've been teachers, and if they have learned about planning and reviewing, then they're in a good position to become good managers if they get the right training and support. Now, let's be honest. Sometimes people do make that leap, if you like. They do make that transition, and they make it successfully without formal training. All I would say was they might be able to make an even better job of it with formal training, and it might have been slightly less painful than the path that they went on. But I think if you look at the plan, do, review, or the plan, teach, reflect, 
the danger is that the people focus on the do and the teach and they don't pay sufficient time to the planning and it's the wrong type of planning. It's like immediate planning, not long-term planning. And the biggest deficit for most managers and I would say possibly for most teachers is the lack of sufficient review at the end of a lesson, at the end of a week. So a lot of what I do now is time management training. And basically, I'm helping people to plan their week. So they give slots to what they do at the beginning of the week to plan, and they give a slot at the end to review what they have done and to help them ask the right questions on a weekly and a daily basis in order to go through that cycle of plan, do, review. Yeah, and to bring this back to teaching for a minute, usually someone in a language school is always monitoring if the teachers did the teaching. And in a lot of schools I work with, they have a way of checking that teachers are planning their lessons. There's maybe some sort of weekly check to make sure that every teacher wrote something that's in a shared folder about what teachers are going to do in their next lessons. But there's usually nothing in place to sort of prompt teachers to reflect. And certainly no one seems to be checking up on have teachers reflected on what they did in last week's lessons. So I suppose it shouldn't be a surprise that we get less of the reflection than we get of the teaching and planning. I want to tell you a quick story. It wasn't me who came up with this. A teacher on an MA course I was running many years ago for Sheffield uh, University. Part of her job description was that at the end of every lesson, she had to fill in on the scheme of work a review of the lesson what worked, what didn't work, what do next. And I thought that was a massively important way of helping people to do what would be useful for them in the long run, as well as useful for the school. And I think that has a great backwash effect. Writing the form is obviously one part, but the most important thing is that if you know you're going to have to fill out that form, then you're going to spend more time thinking about what you're going to write on the form. Absolutely. You could do it in two minutes, but it's the, the thinking about it. And as you say, if you know you're going to do it, then you're thinking about it in order to allow you to do it. One more time, everyone. That was George Pickering. For more from George, click on the link in the show notes. For more from us, check out our website, www.tefltraininginstitute.com. There's a link to that in the show notes, as is there a link to buy us a coffee if you'd like to support the podcast. Thank you again so much to all of you who've already done that. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you again next time. Goodbye.